Hey folks, it's Tom Johnston. Welcome back to the Way of the Master podcast. We are on episode eight. And today I want to talk to you about creating your own midrash. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about the Jesus way of uh, the rabbinic process and using that as our main uh, tool and approach for pastoring our churches, for planting churches, for making disciples. And uh, last time I talked to you about focusing on the few, that how Jesus developed a group of disciples that he really invested in that would become the leaders for his uh, future uh, movement we call the church. And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 4, starting verse 18 today, uh, reading from the ESV as we talk about uh, Jesus' calling his first disciples. So it says this, starting verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. So this is the uh, calling of his first disciples as he begins to build this cadre of 84 disciples, uh, 12 of whom he will call out to be apostles, uh, apostolos sent ones. And Jesus had some very clear kind of outcomes and objectives that he was uh, looking to see his, uh, his disciples engage with and, and uh, some developmental things that he wanted to see happen in them as he prepared them for the coming of the Holy Spirit and their leading of his kingdom movement. You know, as a rabbi, um, Jesus held the highest educational role of the day. And like the other rabbis, he followed the same process employed to teach their disciples. And the process was basically gathering a group of people together. And they called it uh, later, in, in later times, they would call it Bet Hav Midrash, or the house or school of interpretation. And it wasn't just kind of a theoretical interpretation here, but what it means, uh, Midrash means is interpretation so as to apply. So the existence of the, the Bet HaMidrash in the Jesus era was, you know, referenced on a number of occasions in rabbinic literature. And at the time, it probably functioned more as a wisdom school for rabbis in training. And it was usually held in the home of rabbis. Uh, these were not kind of the formal institutions that were founded in um, the later rabbinic period, uh, post the destruction of the temple. But uh, like other rabbis of his era, Jesus uh, would, would take the common knowledge base they had uh, from early childhood in the scripture, and he would build on it. And the whole idea was to take what they knew and make application um, to what, you know, take the data they already knew, and, you know, the Bible they already knew, and make application uh, to life. So... In this, Jesus is utilizing what we would today call a learning community format. And his approach is holistic. Uh, 
in regards to discipleship and leader formation uh, for those that were going to be leaders in his future movement. So in this format of Midrash, there wasn't a disintegrated learn, uh, you know, disintegration of learning and living. They weren't two separate things, but a true integration of uh, life being the curriculum, people walking together in this community, and Jesus using life uh, to teach them what the scriptures meant and how it gets lived out. Now, unlike the other rabbis of his day, Jesus did not have kind of an open enrollment uh, for students to come into his midrash, but in a very countercultural approach, uh, he individually selected his students. So, you know, back in the day, in, in, in the culture of his time, students usually sought out their teachers and had to prove their worth to be taken on. And Jesus is honestly running around the country, and the guys he calls are guys who probably didn't make the cut, or maybe they never even tried. They were more interested in fish and boats and being with their dad, and they weren't really looking, or maybe they never were considered good enough to uh, kind of apply to rabbi school. So Jesus calls them out and immediately they, they respond. And they leave what's behind and they engage with him. Um, and, you know, so he calls them out to himself personally and to the way of life he was wanting them to learn how to live. And it was all in the context, context of relationship. So the relational way uh, of learning life, which has been passed down from generation to generation, culture to culture, that there, there isn't this disintegrated learning of kind of theory and then over here is practice, but theory and practice are put together in the context of conversation and daily life. So, but it, it, what's really key is the direct invitation that Jesus had to his followers. And there was, there was no question left in their mind about what it, what this was for. So it was his desire for them to participate in his midrash. And so he's calling them into a rabbi-disciple relationship, you know, and, and disciple, the Greek methodes, we know it means student, but it also has the connotation of apprentice or learner. So it's someone who's learning a craft, learning a trade. And here these guys are apprentice, uh, you know, apprentice rabbis. So his discipleship process with them was an intentional pursuit. It was not accidental, and it was embedded within the context of the relationship that he was forming with them. Uh, so this relationship with Jesus was the framework for his educational process. And, you know, it was holistic and it was integrated. It wasn't just in part. It wasn't just about church stuff, so to speak. It wasn't just about rabbi rules, but really it was about how to live life. In fact, um, even today in the modern era, um, there's, there's certain practices that rabbis will have if they have a, a cadre in their midrash. Uh, the disciples will walk like them, dress like them, eat like them, have the same table manners, uh, the whole nine yards. And so it's a, it's a very intentional modeling and example setting environment. So through the process of Midrash, you know, this is full on. It's whole life. It's, a, it's an experience of Jesus with his disciples. So, you know, it's experience 
that, especially for us as adults, provides us uh, the most effective way to learn. We have to discover. Uh, we have to understand uh, what things mean in the context of our own discovery, our own apprehension of those things. So what Midrash does is it puts these guys in proximity with Jesus. Uh, he, you know, and, and in that, there is an understanding that he's going to teach them uh, his, his yoke, his understanding of Torah, his interpretation. Uh, it's, it's really important that, um, you know, they knew straight up what was expected to them. Because the goal of, of Midrash was to take the body of knowledge, the Torah for them, you know, the whole scripture for us, and apply it to life. So the school of interpretation was not just finding the right meaning of things, but also the right practice of things in real life. So it's, it's not just to educate in theory, but actually pass on an understanding of something and the skills on how to do it, like how to live through life, how to handle stress, how to handle crisis. You know, what does the scripture say about marriage? How are we supposed to relate with, uh, with those we employ or those we work for? How are we supposed to relate to nature? How are we supposed to treat our animals? All these things were part and parcel of everyday life. And the rabbi was expected to teach his disciples who were going to teach others how to uh, do these things. So it's not just the what, but also the how. And so the application of learning to daily life was an essential part of the Jewish culture. And it included in its scope, both instruction and practice. So the goal of Midrash then was to develop a skilled master rabbi, the teacher who could both live out the teaching of his master and then teach out of his life to other people. So it was kind of a being so you could do, that it's a both end of being and doing. And so, you know, again, it starts with a common knowledge of scripture and then the rabbi's yoke or the rabbi's interpretation of that scripture. And so with, with that at the core, all life became uh, the school. All life became the curriculum. So life itself, in the context of the relationship with their rabbi, was the curriculum. So, you know, and there's uh, Robert Pazmino, uh, um, who was a professor at Gordon-Conwell, once said that there's an educational trinity of content, persons, and context. So, you know, the content for Jesus' disciples was the Tanakh, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. The persons are, of course, the Midrash community, the, the cadre of 84 disciples and their teacher, and then the context, which is life. So, you know, there's a, there's a dialogue going on. So Jesus employs this kind of educational trinity, um, interpretation of the, the Torah, the content, the relationship with and amongst his disciples, you know, all the persons who are involved. And all of life is the context for the learning. And so that's why the relationship and proximity and access to Jesus was so important. Now, today, you're going to say, yeah, right. Well, I don't have place for 84 people to move into the house with me. I'm not an itinerant rabbi. How does this work? Well, 
you have to intentionally uh, structure a, a core community of learners who are willing to respond to you. So there's an intentional call, like I said in our last episode, focus on the few. So Jesus has this uh, in, uh, intentional call that we see in um, you know Matthew four, where we look at him, we look at him calling Simon and Andrew and James and John, and so with this, uh, they have uh, engaged intentionally, coming into uh, a relationship with him to learn. <clears throat> and so with that, uh, what that means is is that you seriously need to seek out intentionally and invite people into a learning environment. Now, you might have to explain, you might have to educate, but certainly uh, you're looking for people who kind of desire to go to the next place with Jesus. And so, you know, again, I'm speaking primarily to pastors here. So if there are people in your church who you see that God is calling uh, to step forward in discipleship and, and specifically into leadership, because we want to focus on multiplying ourselves into leaders who can make more disciples. You know, if you see people who are willing to step up and be part of that community, you need to make the invitation. You need to call them out. And as you know, in other places in the scripture, Jesus calls people and they don't come. And so that's okay. You know, uh, you can just let people sit in the chair or in the pew or whatever and and be there and continue to hear you. And maybe again, they'll respond at some point in the future. But you need to make the ask. You need to be intentional about it. And you need to not wait for them to come to you. Now, uh, the other thing is, is you need to create some construct for it to happen. So like, how are you going to relate with these people? How are you going to relate with them individually? How are you going to relate with them as a group? So let's just use the 312 72 uh, analogy from what Jesus had. And again, for us, those, those numbers aren't magic. They, uh, they are just kind of what he was dealing with. So the, the whole cadre was 84 people. And from this, he saw 12 who were kind of ready to run and who were more uh, dynamically involved and in responding to him, had greater potential for the gospel. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he was... He liked them more. I think he was focusing on them because they were responding and he could see by the Holy Spirit uh, the potential and the calling on their life. And so that's what we're doing. So we're going we're gonna to gather our 84 and then we're going to look for who the 12 are. And, and then from within that, you're going to see some senior students rise up who are like your, 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 your senior students, the, the three, Peter, James, and John. And there's an investment in the larger group, but then there's also an investment in the smaller cadre of the 12 and then even more in the three. And so, again, the numbers are, are not specific. You might have a 25, a 8, and a 2. And, and so, basically, you have to create environments where you can have relationship with them as a group and then relationship with them within the fabric of their, their uh, the cadre they're part of. So if they're like part of the 12 or part of the three for you, you need to create a way to be together with them so you can sow into them. They're not all gonna live with you, obviously. They've got jobs. You might even have a job. 
But the whole idea is how do you invest in time and space with people? You know, as I've always said, spiritual community is formed in spiritual pursuit uh, in shared time and space. So people have to be together in time and space to really pursue Jesus. And I know that that we've used Zoom and different, uh, you know, technologies to kind of facilitate togetherness uh, during COVID, but that's, uh, that's uh, you know, not enough, I don't think. I think that it's, it's more, um, it's more that we need to be physically present. We need to have proximity. I have mentored people who are with me in my local church. I've mentored people who have been nearby geographically, and then I've mentored people who have been uh, far away nationally and internationally, and I can tell you that uh, it works best with the people that you're you're living life together on an everyday basis. So with that, we really need to look for the constructs that we can create, or even the ones we already have, to facilitate the development of our midrash. So we need to create a community of learning. Now, for us in our church, uh, I've created a thing called Elsie Leadership Community which is kind of analogous to the 72. In our church, um, you know, if everybody showed up, we'd have a couple hundred people. So the LC is probably about 50 people right now of leaders, emerging leaders, all generations are represented. And, and so with that, uh, I, that's the large group. And uh, we have a way of gathering on a regular basis and working together. And then I have what we call SLC, Senior Leadership Community, which in, in our case now consists of um, the large number of bivocational credentialed pastors that we have in our group, as they always have a pretty large training cadre for multiplication purposes, church planting, uh, and launching other ministries. And so that group is, I think, now 17 people. Uh, and... And so SLC always participates with the larger group of the LC, but I meet more frequently with the people who are in the SLC. Uh, we meet, you know, every month. Then within both the SLC primarily, but then the LC as well, I do have individual times with people that I am uh, intentionally sewing into. So most of the investment that I'm called to make at this phase in the life of this particular church is in the leadership, you know, basically Jesus is 72 and 12, the 84. So my group's 50. Uh, of those, there, there are 17 or so that I'm investing in heavily uh, because they are, are the main, main leaders who are really multiplying themselves and multiplying disciples. So uh, my, my focus is on the Midrash. My focus is on this group of people. Now, I'm available for, for the general population of the congregation. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of things that I no longer do because other people do them. And um, I have um, intentionally decentralized the leadership away from me so that uh, the expectation isn't that God only shows up when the senior pastor does. So um, the the maturity and the functionality that my LC and SLC have, have now kind of come into, 
really make a lot of things happen without me being involved. In fact, a lot of times things happen and I don't do anything. <laughs> the joke is I'm trying to become a powerless figurehead. But uh, the reality is, is that I'm, I'm heavily involved in those who are leaders and who are becoming leaders. And it's there that I can focus multiplication of leadership who will in turn multiply disciples, more leaders, and churches. So that's been kind of the pattern uh, that I've had for the past 30 years. I've become very intentional in it uh, the past 10 years as I really began to study how Jesus did it. So again, you need to establish a learning community, your own midrash. You have to invite people into it. You have to clearly define what you're going to do with it. And you need to really help them understand the purpose of why you're doing it so that you can learn together as a community about what Jesus is doing in and through your particular church. And so it's essential that you invest most of your time in the few, as I said last week. And this creating an environment of your own midrash is essential. So start to pray and get out a notebook and write down who you think God might be wanting you to have in your, your, your 84 or your 12 or your 3 again. Not counting on the numbers, but really the understanding that, that there are these concentric circles of discipleship that you're going to invest in. Now, you're not going to neglect the body as a whole, but you are going to focus most of your time and energy in the development and multiplication of disciples who become leaders so that the church can actually grow and the impact can continue. So again, start with prayer and ask the Lord to show you who to invite and then ask him to show you how to structure the time you spend with them, how to set up individual times of relational development, of mentoring and coaching. Ask him what the construct looks like for you. All right. God bless. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you again.